Hi, I'm Max Gibson, and you're listening to episode four of Fairy Visions, my podcast series about the radical fairies of Vermont. Here's what I've covered so far. The radical fairies are a global movement of queer spiritualists. About six months ago, I started talking to the fairies from Fairy Camp Destiny, the Vermont Fairy Sanctuary. A side note, I was a senior at Dartmouth College when I was talking about all of this, and that comes up later on in this episode. Last episode, I explored the origins of the radical fairies, and I talked about the first fairy gathering, which happened in 1979. I also got familiar with Harry Hay, who some would call the founder of the radical fairy movement. Hay talked about how queer people have unique spiritual gifts, and in this episode, I'll show you the historical context he was drawing on when he made that claim. So, here it is, Fairy History Part 2. To really understand contemporary radical fairies, I've learned you have to understand that, at least traditionally, radical fairies don't think of fairies as a new thing. And by new, I mean as from the last hundred years. For them, and for many gay spiritualists, gay spirituality is the manifestation of a widespread and subconsciously unified history of queer purpose. Although the spiritual gifts of queer people have been labeled evil by the modern Christian tradition, Queer people still held spiritual power long before Harry Hay said it was so. Fairies are keenly aware of this. Toby Johnson, a gay spiritualist, puts it nicely. He says fairies have a, quote, self-reflexive awareness of the myth-making process, end quote. He says the goal of gay spirituality is to benevolently re-mythologize old myths without dogma. He says modern-day queer spiritualists know that, quote, all myths are false and all are true, end quote. Will Roscoe is a fairy and the editor of a book of Harry Hay's writings. In the introduction to that book, Roscoe suggests that we should let go of our attachment to reality when diving into Harry's theories and when looking at history. He writes, Hay is saying, separate yourself from your oppressor. Leap from the nest. Come explore this new planet of fairy vision, who you might be in a world without homophobia. So, Let's jump onto that planet of fairy vision as we look at the historical precedents for modern fairies. To build up this fairy history, in addition to Harry Hay and Toby Johnson, I've also drawn heavily from the work of Will Roscoe, Mark Thompson, and Christian de la Huerta, and very, very extensively from Arthur Evans' 1978 book, Witchcraft and the Gay Counterculture. I got caught up in this history, and I don't attest to any of it being strictly or loosely factual. It's my attempt to get inside the revisionist impulse of queer spirituality. So here we go. Nearly all of ancient Europe worshipped a great mother goddess with sexual rites. Unlike the dominant religions of today, most of the priests of this shamanic religion were women, and men who wanted to become priests wore what we'd now call drag they probably looked a little like fairies. In Asia Minor, men and women worshipped this great mother of the gods with orgies that had a nice melange of heterosexual and homosexual acts. Men who wanted to become priests would castrate themselves in an ecstatic trance during the orgy and later adopt long hair and women's clothing. Observing Greeks called them effeminate, which is a word many modern muggles would use to describe the radical fairies. Looking westward, along with the Great Mother, ancient Celts also worshipped the Horned God, a figure with an equally long history. 
This horned god was particularly potent in Celtic worship, as he was emblematic of male sexuality, often appearing with an erect cock. Something most history books won't tell you is that Celtic men were notorious for their homosexuality. The Roman historian Diodorus wrote in the first century, Although they have good-looking women, they pay very little attention to them, but are really crazy about having sex with men. They are accustomed to sleep on the ground on animal skins and roll around with male bedmates on both sides. And the most incredible thing is that they don't think this is shameful. It's not a stretch to speculate that the Celts might have worshipped their horned god with homosexual acts. In pre-Christian days, people from the British Isles to the Middle East worshipped this horned god and great mother. The horned god went by many names. Pan, Osiris, Dionysus, Robin Goodfellow, Baal. The mother goddess was called Artemis, Diana, Isis, Morgan Luffy. Weird. This last one, Weird, was part of a trinity of mother goddesses called the Weird Sisters. You may remember them as the bearded witches from Macbeth. These are the Fates, as they were later called. In medieval times, the Latin fata for fate turned into fairy, and from there comes our modern word fairy. So the word fairy has always had a queerness to it, even before it was used to describe gay people. I'm going to stretch these connections a little more now, as many radical fairy writers have already done. And I'm going to say that a lot of religions have fairy qualities, even religions we don't necessarily think of as queer, radical, or political in a modern sense. Let's take Christianity, for example. Mary, a married woman who has strangely remained a virgin, gets impregnated with another man's, God's, child. Instead of covering up this very queer conception, she displays it proudly and calls it holy. Once born, Jesus walks around preaching universal love, remains unmarried, and his disciples instruct their followers, male and female, to greet each other with kisses. When Jesus was being crucified, he declared his symbolic marriage to John, his beloved disciple. The following is from chapter 19 of the Gospel of John. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold, your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold, your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her into his own home. This very well might be the first gay marriage in the history of Christianity. Jesus refuses to give in to the dominant powers of his time, the Romans, and he gets killed for it. His life as a virgin-birthed, free-loving bachelor and political nonconformist is radically queer. He preaches a theology that brings the divine directly to all people, and that's a core aspect of modern paganism and witchcraft. Looking back now, I don't think it would be incorrect to call Jesus a fairy. Let's jump forward a little bit to the Quakers. In the 1640s, George Fox gathers a congregation in England for a new form of Christianity, one free from the doctrine of the Protestant churches of the time. Meetings are unstructured, so anybody can talk and preach, men or women. And this is to recognize the possibility for all people to receive revelation from God, which is a concept they call immediate revelation. Similarly, personal experience of the divine is a core aim of modern paganism and witchcraft, like what the radical fairies practice. In a Quaker meeting, everyone can speak if they want to or feel inspired, and radical fairies would recognize this as something like Heart Circle, which is the major ritual of the radical fairy movement. Like some modern fairy rituals, early Quaker meetings were loud and chaotic events. 
Francis Higgins, who was a critic of Fox, paints an unsettling picture of the early Quakers. Many of them fall into quaking fits. Their lips quiver. Their bellies swell as though blown up with wind. They foam at the mouth and sometimes purge as if they had taken physic. This all mellowed out as the Quakers migrated to the New World. And although the now quiet tone of modern Quakerism is a huge contrast with the mania of a fairy gathering, I think the underlying structure of equality and personalized religious experience is the same. And actually, the Destiny Fairies adopted their consensus model from the Quakers. And there's this one link between the fairies and the Quakers that's too weird to be a coincidence. English Quakers proudly adopted the title of good men and good wives. That's what people called them. And one of the British names for the horned god is Robin Goodfellow. Good man, good fellow, Quaker, fairy, it's just a little bit eerie. This kind of revisionism makes history come alive for me. I started doing it on my own life, too. So I found out about this group of Dartmouth students in the 1920s called the Beaver Meadow Boys. A historian named Nicholas Sirrett wrote about them, and my friend Francis brought them to my attention when I told him about my project on the fairies. So the Beaver Meadow Boys was a group of students, all male, all with homosexual tendencies, that used to go to a farmhouse in nearby Beaver Meadow to drink, which was illegal at the time, and also to have sex with each other. Eventually, the Dartmouth administration caught on to all of this, and they disbanded the house, expelling some of the students who were involved. But two of the Beaver Meadow boys, McKay Patterson and Ralph Jones, they survived the purge, and they graduated Dartmouth in 1924. Afterward, they moved to the farmhouse where the Beaver Meadow boys used to gather, and they lived there, two of the remaining fairies living together in the woods. The Beaver Meadow area is now part of Norwich, Vermont, and I run down Beaver Meadow Road all the time. And I think I've probably run past the farmhouse or the lot where the Beaver Meadow boys lived and slept with each other. Now they seem like guardian spirits to me, ancestral peers who helped pave the way for me to be at Dartmouth as an openly gay man. Digging into this type of history, hidden, invented, whatever you want to call it, it really got me closer to the fairy mindset. I see it as a way of developing my fairy vision. Fairy vision allows me to access the enchanted side of things, to see history as this sweeping trajectory that's specially designed to lead me to the here and now, and one that has driven toward the existence of the radical fairies. Fairies embody a magical, mythic sense of the past that I think is lost to most of the world. And I definitely can understand why they do that. It's fun, and it also imbues everything with meaning. They put the magic and the mystique back into queerness, and I like that. <laughs> at this point, I'd gotten pretty good at theorizing about fairies. Next time, I get to see what they're like in practice when I visit some fairies at their house. Thank you, Carson and Jack, for reading quotes in this episode. To stay up to date with this series, subscribe to the Fairy Visions podcast on iTunes or Stitcher, or follow me on SoundCloud. You can also stay updated by going to fairyvisions.wordpress.com. That's F-A-E-R-I-E visions at wordpress.com. The songs you heard in this episode are Harry Fairy Hataruna by Monroeville Music Center, The Life and Death of a Certain K. Zabriskie Patriarch by Chris Zabriskie, 
Renaissance by Audio Natics, and Rite of Passage by Kevin McLeod. Berry Visions is produced by me, Max Gibson, and I'll talk to you next time. In the meantime, be sure to come explore this new planet of fairy vision, who you might be in a world without homophobia.